0: Hey listeners, this is Teen. Uh just wanted to give a brief introduction to this pod because it's a little bit of a longer one. It's a bonus pod, but we're going to put out um, a little bit of a longer preview of it. So it should be about 25 or 30 minutes or something. The whole thing is like an hour 40. So apologies for the long pod. Uh, I wanted to give the intro just because Jess and I felt like our conversation, it might benefit the listener... If I just gave a little bit of a brief background, because we just kind of got into it and we didn't really, uh, we didn't really frame it because we had talked about it together beforehand. What we're talking about in this podcast is this is a uh, analogizing what's going on in a lot of like liberal media spaces and how we see a lot of Asian American writing about identity and things like and representation and things like that. Um, one example would be that Walter Chaw article that came out about Parasite and how Parasite won, but Asian Americans are still losing. Something I discussed with Yasmin Nair in a previous pod, uh, I think the last bonus pod. And we were wondering whether Munchausen by proxy, which is a uh, mental disorder, uh, was something that could be used as kind of an analogy. And I want to make clear, we're just talking about analogies here not, you know pretending like we're actually diagnosing someone or something with it. But whether and by Proxy would be a good analogy for what we're seeing going on in terms of the dynamic between places like the New York Times and other and other such outlets and the kind of Asian-American representational writing that we're seeing, the particular style and tone of it, which often seems kind of meek, neurotic, hard to please. It's a lot of stuff about not being seen, not being properly represented not feeling like representational images of us are not authentic and at the same time questioning whether authenticity is even a real thing. Uh, We see this a lot over and over again. And while I don't think that such writing is necessarily wrong or dishonest in any way, it also seems like there is uh, a filter out there to promote this kind of writing over other kinds of Asian American uh, uh, writing uh, perspectives. And, it seemed that Munches on Proxy, which I'll describe, Munches on Proxy is uh, a mental disorder in which a caretaker intentionally poisons or otherwise makes someone under their care sick, usually, say, a child, in order to sort of perpetuate and intensify the, the relationship of being a caretaker to this person who's now in their charge. And um, it's a it's a slightly more... A uh, complicated and nuanced relationship than something else that is often used to describe the uh, the relationship that some Asian Americans have. A lot of people are accused of of having what's called Stockholm syndrome, which is where you know a hostage or someone held under duress develops strong emotional bonds with their captor, and that's often utilized as as um as an accusation. That some Asian Americans are quote white worshiping, and that, you know, everything they're doing is the result of a Stockholm syndrome where they've developed emotional bonds with, say, white captors in order to, uh, you know, in order to just survive. And I just felt that that analogy didn't seem to really capture the nuance of the dynamic that we see. And that perhaps one challenge by proxy would be a better way to frame the whole thing. Uh, so it's a little bit of a theoretical and abstract discussion, but I think one that me, Jess and I uh, really kind of seem to agree on in terms of both like personal experiences and also just how we're reading some of the texts that are being produced uh, by Asian American writers in predominantly white, liberal, Uh, publications. So I just wanted to give a little heads up. Um, Thanks again to everyone who subscribes to uh, the Patreon. Uh, If you don't subscribe, consider subscribing. It's $5 a month. And what we're doing is um, using all of that cash to go into an Asian American Writers Fund, which we're using to pay our writers because we don't valorize free labor and we don't want Plan A to be uh, something where we just have everyone contribute for free. Uh, and so if you're interested in seeing, in, in, in helping out, if you're interested in creating more opportunities for Asian American writers out there to say what they really want, free of the dynamic of having uh, you know, editors that want to shape how we write and things like that, um, consider either joining the Patreon or uh, hitting us up and seeing if uh, you have something that perhaps uh, you want to publish with us and uh, the Patreon is at patreon.com slash planamag and you can always send us uh, comments about the podcast or submission ideas, things like that to editor.planamag at gmail.com. Thanks. Escape from Plan A. Escape.
1: Escape. Escape. From
0: Plan Welcome to Escape from Plan A. Uh this is Teen. Uh I'm here with Jess. Jess, how's it going?
1: It's uh, it's going all right. It's it's been a beautiful couple of days in LA. Oh uh,
0: it well, it's not bad over here, but today it, today really blows, so I'm just chilling in my apartment. Um nice. sounds like we've got our coffee going. Uh huh. Sounds like we've got some ideas we want to kick around. Uh some good ones. This is hopefully. Yeah. So this will be a pretty. Yeah. L- lately, we've been pretty chill. We've been pretty informal about pods and stuff. And I, I feel it's good. So, what's on your mind, Jess?
1: Well, I, wanna, I I think this is a this is a jam session. So if we had any kind of theme going through, this would be like a plan A jam session. Uh, Sweet. I don't really have any like thesis to really expound on or anything. Um, but I think this is picking up. This is picking up from uh where you left off with uh, Yasmin. Yasmin Nair, who did that, um, it's one of my personal favorites, uh, when you, the two of you talked about a week ago.
0: Oh, yeah, Yasmin's Um, great. To
1: anyone listening to this, uh, you should, you should really check that one out if you haven't. That was a really fun conversation.
0: Yeah, which would require you technically to join the Patreons. Join the Patreon, because we use your Uh, cash. (laughs) We use your cash to go pay (laughs) Asian American writers for, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, yeah, no, anyway. Um.
1: Um... yeah, so it's a it's a really it's so I guess uh, what got me started on thinking through um what we're going to talk about today is a thing that you you guys had uh, touched on uh in in the pod that you guys did which is talking about um munchausen by proxy although you guys didn't you guys didn't name it as such. Uh you were there. You were there in the conversation. Maybe you want to you want to put some context around uh around that.
0: Yeah, we were talking about um oops, sorry. I Just hit my mic uh we were talking about the this like this sort of like i call it like wet noodle writing or some people call it mingo like this sort of really sort of limp-wristed kind of asian-american writing that seems to get published in places like the new york times and it's always about how we're not represented properly and people don't understand us and it's just a very sort of I kind of shy away from, from using this word pejoratively because it's a real word, but this sort of victim-y kind of, you know, uh, discourse where Asian Americans are allowed to go into the New York Times and publish stories about how we don't feel seen and we're not properly represented and we don't see ourselves on screen and, you know, like, you know, people, nobody understands us.
1: Yeah, to shift yeah. Uh, the language a little bit, it's uh, it's to show how wounded we are.
0: Yes, Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, that's right.
1: Which to me feel it's I've never had a comfortable relationship with that kind um, of writing, uh, just an instinctive discomfort with it, um, and uh, and I never had the proper language to describe it. But I think we're ac- we actually like we might be, uh, we might be talking through something that to me feels a l- feels a little bit more exciting in that it actually manages to capture what I feel to be th- the uh, dynamic going on.
0: Um. I mean that's yeah. I mean I I feel the same way, and I, I was telling Yasmin how like it kind of puts people like me and I suspect you in a kind of weird position because it's like you know we're we're living in a world where or we're living in a political environment where there's just huge amounts of of um, you, you, you know you know xenophobia. There's huge amounts of anti Asian, just casual racism and all this stuff, and. It makes it hard, I think, for me to be like, look, I'm really proud of, you know, my heritage. I want to connect with my, you know, Chinese side and, and all this stuff. But for someone who wants to be more identified with, like, you know, the culture they grew up with, that it kind of puts you in a bin with people who automatic because of the nature of, like, the kind of voices that are promoted out there, it kind of requires you to assume a sort of victim stance. Yes. And, you know, and I just, its kind of sucks because it's like I don't really feel aggrieved in that sense. Uh, I mean, I get it. I'm not saying they're wrong, but, like, that doesn't form the core of why I'm interested uh, in maintaining some connection with my Chinese side. It's not because I feel victimized. I just prefer it. <laughs> Is that does that make sense? or
1: it does. I mean, it takes away the language to talk about it because by saying by putting yourself out like that, there's almost an an understanding an impression of defensiveness that comes through as a result of this collective body of work that has come before. you know, like that you see that this is a defensive mechanism as opposed to a legitimate uh, as opposed to a healthy uh, stance there's some there's something there's something there you just need to like tell me about it tell me about your pain tell me about how much you hurt oh god uh, that's it's... always the position it has to be it has to be talked about it and the new york times op-ed that you guys discussed uh, to me uh like i i'm sort of used to it by now like i feel like i've developed some some skin um so it doesn't really annoy me this one in particular uh seemed just extra just just extra bad I um, mean, it was published like what the day after the Oscars.
0: Yeah, it was like ready to go. I mean, yeah, how- this
1: guy had this locked and loaded, like the to pu- like the day after the Oscars. This must have been written. I mean, like, was this shit written before Parasite even won? It, that's what Kinda I kind of makes felt. you wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like it's 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 like a. It's like those um, like how I know all news establishments kind of have this body of like like obituaries stock obituaries for major public figures so if one of them happens to hap- happens to die this is how they're able to put out a statement so quickly yeah it's um, like it's
0: like it's like a box it's like those boxes of t-shirts of like San Francisco 49 ers Super Bowl champions uh, yeah but they yeah. didn't win you know <laughs> it was like written just in case break break open in case. Parasite wins Best Picture, you know that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely so I have like to that.
1: imagine like parallel p- op-eds that were written, one in case it did, and one in case it didn't, and I feel like both of them would have been equally downers. Uh, but this, but it won, and this is the one that gets put out. And my my beef with this one is that it, it's okay. Look, uh, Parasite just won the Oscars um, on a on a platform like the New York Times. What is the most likely that is like the day uh when more most people are likely to click on a piece written by and foreign an a- for Asians and about Asians that is like the time uh, i'm I'm sure this op ed got huge engagement as a result of that. Um, people are going to be curious about this. They're going to want to read. People who might not normally know or give a shit about uh, Asian Americans in in the country uh, are 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 going to be primed to click on this shit. And what is embedded in that? Look at the look at the message that's embedded inside that op ed. This was what we put out there to represent uh, some col- some collective psychology. Uh, it was disgusting. Yeah. It and, paints us as these sulky, wounded, unseen, invisible. Uh, like, I mean, there's no real thesis e- either. And I and you did a great job unpacking these contradictions that are embedded in in a piece like that. And it just kind of just put, gets put out there. It just looks like complaining. And it's
0: circular. I think there's a circularity to it, right? Like we were talking about how like embedded into these sort of canon canonical Asian American representational pieces. Uh, there's just inherent contradictions, like, well, the farewell was something that was more authentically Asian American, so it it holds up this concept of authentic Asian American, but then at the very same time, it has to say, well, you know, we can't be represented because we're so diverse, meaning, yes. like, we want representation, but on the other hand, no representation will ever represent authenticity, and it's right. it's a it's an inherent contradiction that is i think you've used this phrase crazy making in the past and i think that's what it is it is crazy making because it it is self-contradictory and yet that forms the core of asian american representational discourse and it just is a never ending loop and i've noticed that a lot of stuff that i see online and we we talked about the wmaf discourse that it's also a kind of never-ending loop. It keep, if you watch it long enough, you'll start noticing periodicity to it, and it just keeps wrapping around and wrapping around. And I think the lack of perspective on it or the lack of ability to talk about the contradictions in a way that, that sort of get, get, gives us a better view, step outside of the contradiction, step outside of the loop a little bit, would allow us to sort of like understand what's actually going on And then move on. And I thought when you said... When we were talking about... Okay, so what we were talking about a bit... Was this notion... Or on the Yasmin pod... What I had mentioned was... That I was getting this feeling... Of... You know... These tropes in like TV... And some movies... And I I think Sixth Sense sort of came up... Where a caretaker... Usually like a sort of maternal figure is intentionally sickening um a child in order to sort of maintain a caretaker uh relationship because that was sort of like the desired role like you had a sick child and you had like a loving caring uh parental figure authority figure um and and but there was a there was a sort of like insidious poisoning going on uh in order to keep that dynamic alive and I, and and I was I was just sort of for some reason I just thought of that as how I felt how all this representational writing made me feel and Yasmin talked about for example going to these Asian American or these panels where people would introduce themselves through their victimhood they would they would say you know I am you know uh, you know I I I've, I'm transgender and I've been um you know, I've suffered a lot of. I'm not saying, like, again, I'm not saying that none of this is that any of this is untrue, but I'm just saying that that is the nature of the discourse that you lead with. This is how I've been injured. This is how I've been traumatized, and I am here as an Asian American to talk about that. And I and and like you, I find that to be very pathological in a way.
1: I find it predatory yeah it's extremely predatory yeah um i mean i know i know my experience in that um just um i remember taking a uh, creative writing course at harvard incidentally um and just not being familiar with you know uh, the tropes of mango i just didn't know how to behave and i think this was a pretty good like crash course um i know i know the kind of writing that got me good feedback i know the kind that got me bad feedback right and there's a very different there was a very marked difference um if you know it'd be like feed i mean these are small circles with the uh, with an instructor um kind of guiding the group um there's always a there's always a little there's always a little push towards a certain perspective like uh you read a piece you workshop it and then if the crit- criticism is oh but I, w- I want to hear more about you know your cultural you know your culture mm. like bitch i grew up in california yeah You grew up in iowa yeah you you tell me who actually has a has a grip on on uh on what american culture is about mm. um not to say iowa is not american but but you want but they're not talking about talking about they're not asking me to talk about la they you know exactly what they're asking for um, we had an assignment to write about, you know, our families, our backgrounds. Uh, I forget the exact prompt, but I wrote, it, I, I tried to do the best I could from the background that I had, and the feedback that I got was it wasn't realistic. Um, uh, that there was too. Uh, According
0: to their conception of realism, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean. I, like, I don't, like, there is, a, there is a narrative that is put out there, and I don't want to discredit the truth of it, like you said, for any given individual for whom that is true for them. Uh, but it adds up, but in in terms of who gets amplified, who actually gains prominence for for their truth, so to speak, you can kind of uh, get the sense of what people are actually, what the audience is ready to hear as generally true about this group. So I... Uh, in talking about my my it was a prompt about talking about childhood i actually wrote about uh uh i, I bred show horses i was very into i was i was very into equestrian sports as a kid this no is what shit. i wanted i didn't know that yeah this is what i this is i like that was like my my thing hmm. uh i loved that um so i mean w- like one of one of my best childhood memories is actually uh having the chance to go with my dad to kentucky to buy um a thoroughbred whoa yeah um and then uh and then i rode her trained her everything and then eventually bred her um f- uh, for another show horse you had I, a this pony. Was my, I did <laughs> i had a i had a pony i had two um So I wrote about that. And the feedback that I got was like, you clearly understand this world, but I didn't really get the sense of its realness. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you like? Have you ever done this? I don't think you have. What would how would you understand what I'm talking about here? Um, So they were literally praising me for the research I did into this. And like I did. This is my life. This is my life. Uh, and then the instructor's telling me about like, well, I want to hear about like what's actually like real and true, like uh, like how did you communicate with your parents in English, and then in Korean. I like w- this was not a this is not a this was not the uh, crux of uh, any kind of inner turmoil or truth seeking, right? There's no conflict in that with for me. This has
0: been – it's interesting because this this arises in a number of different contexts uh, or domains. Um, We had this article, remember in Plan A, like we – anytime we touch on mental health, it seems to get a lot of play. And one of the first articles that we had put out was by George Chow um, about – we'll put a link in the show notes. But it was a really good article about um, how a lot of Asian – like culturally sensitive – mental health services like therapy they would sort of shift blame onto cultural factors like they would say and not necessarily out of any animus or anything but they would say that for example that asian americans for cultural reasons like we were not encouraged to speak up because of our confucian upbringing and all this stuff that we would suffer mental health problems because of our asianness and the article George was putting out was kind of pushing back against this and said, no, it's more th- it's more things like racism and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that in a way. It's like a similar sort of dynamic going on, which is to say, like, there is a sort of preconceived notion of like what ails us, you know, and there is it's within us. There's something inherent in within us. That causes these problems, and if you're, for example, like without, I, I feel like your writing instructor was kind of seemed to be corralling you towards a certain narrative that pathologized or or made or made your Asian experience more fucked up or more, you know, do you know what I mean? Like more unorthodox, and it couldn't yes. just be about. Uh, well- your life but a
1: very careful association to power here um so i mean i think it was it was like a light bulb went off in my head when you and yasmin were talking about uh, talking around uh munchausen by proxy because i think this better captures um uh, the actual social dynamic involved in shit like this uh i want to step back for a second here though um I think if you're if you're on, you know, if you're on these uh, social media spaces, you know, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, um, and you go into the right circles, you're often going to see Stockholm syndrome being used quite a bit to describe um, colloquially um, this dynamic that we have with, um, especially with white people, but broadly with um, uh, white dominated society and social norms. Um, that one never quite sat right with me. and I, uh, But I understand, uh, the more I think about it, the more I understand its appeal. But I think the fact that it's appealing as a very neat explanation should also be challenged as well. Uh, Let, let's
0: get into it a little bit. Like, What, what, yeah. what do you see as the sort of, um, you know, the way Stockholm Syndrome is deployed in Asian American discourse to explain our relationship with, I, I, I gather, white society?
1: Uh, so I mean, it's used very casually. Like, you'll if you if you're just new to it, you'll you'll see it you'll see it just name dropped, right? And then that's it. That's considered the explanation that you slot in, and then that just kind of explains everything. But uh, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, somebody will talk yeah. about like a, a dinette, some some situation, like oh yeah, Stockholm syndrome, yeah, and then you move on from there.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I think like let's say like take some more. I mean, because I think it's deployed by like more you know sort of like what we will call like based asian asian people like like um take a take a novel or you know or a movie or something like that let's say it's all the boys or one of these things that has been accused of being a little bit too quote white worshiping which i think is often associated with stockholm syndrome and i'll see you know comments or or whatever saying you know, this is Stockholm Syndrome. This is like Asian people having been colonial subjects, um, having been taught to worship and, and love our oppressors, our colonizers. You know, and, and I've seen and I think this is actually sort of the bleeding edge of sort of like very pro-Asian, let's say it. or Or, you know, this isn't like the this isn't how do I put this? This isn't even the, this isn't like the limp noodle area of, um, Yeah, this is like when people get really angry about stuff online, they'll start accusing people I've seen of of Stockholm Syndrome, which is a kind of fancy way of saying you worship white people because you've Mm -hmm. been colonized by them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll slot in the uh, the description uh, of it that I just found on Wikipedia, right? So, Stockholm Syndrome is a condition in which hostages develop a psychological alliance with their captors during captivity. Emotional bonds may be formed between captor and captives during intimate time together, but these are generally considered irrational in light of the danger or risk endured by the victims. Um, and it's uh, through a psychoanalytic lens you can argue that psych- Stockholm Syndrome arises as a result of survival instincts um, that arguably have gone a little haywire in the modern era. So um, basically, you know, in Stockholm Syndrome, the victim's need to survive is stronger than the impulse to hate the person that has created the dilemma. Um, so it becomes, it's a very, it's still a self protective uh, pheno- psychological phenomenon, which is by no means like, accepted as common knowledge among uh, uh, among pro- mental health professionals. I was surprised to uh, find out. Um, yeah, and I think I, I, I was in, in,
0: in discussing this with you after that Yasmin pod, like I, I started to feel like Stockholm Syndrome is actually the cover story to some extent because, and, I, and this goes yeah. way back. I remember like the very way, way back, like the origins of, even me like doing pods and stuff was um, when we talked with um, uh, with Liza about this. And I remember we did a pod about WMAF because I, I was like, this this topic's huge. And I t- we talked with someone privately after that podcast. I won't say who, but, you know, someone who's like big on Asian-American online discourse. Um, not associated with us. And I was bringing up the point that, you know... A lot of you know, every time I talk about this, like, especially like, say, in the Filipino context, that immediately, it goes back to notions of white worship and colonized mentality. And I was making the point, like, I don't think that we're talking about, in this case, you know, um, a colonizer-colonized colonized dynamic. That's not like that, you know, It it's a nice way to graft on a certain historical narrative onto, you know, yeah. WMAF relationships that we see, particularly, let's say, Filipinas and white men.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's not, I mean, maybe in some cases you'll see like, you know, a war bride or something. I don't know if that still happens or not, but like, that's not really what's going on, but it's so accepted. And I was getting a lot of pushback in that conversation to say, like, I was overlooking the way in which historical mentalities bleed into the modern times and so i felt like and there was a stockholm that stockholm syndrome right that you know you you end up worshipping your oppressor and it just didn't seem accurate but it was close enough that it it provided and it was it was radical enough in in a sense to be pretty accepted in a way to say like that's basically what's going on. You're, you're worshiping your colonizer. And if you look at the white man, what you should see a colonizer and an oppressor and what you are is a victim. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what's, What's the- it's
1: incomplete, um, and yeah. I see the allure for if you're p- pushing a, a particularly a political uh, angle to to an analysis. I actually understand the the appeal of something like Stockholm syndrome because it's very binary; it's very black and white. There is no gray area here. So in Stockholm syndrome, the players are very clearly defined. There is no overlap, right? There is uh, there is hostage and the captor, right? Um, so broadly in this case, it would be the colonized and the colonizer. That's, that's it. It's a binary. Um, so I understand that it's a very simple, stark, um, maybe it's, maybe it's more useful as a rhetorical tool, but it's not an analytical tool. Um, because, uh, like, look, this, this is not the world we live in. Can you really, can you really divide, uh, these two, can you really divide these two pools of people that cleanly, um, You can't.